there's probably nothing harder in life than rebuilding an aspect of your life, whether it's your professional career, whether it's your relationship aspect of your life, whether it's a relationship between you and your children or maybe a children and their parent. When, when there's been damage done to something, the rebuilding is hard. I mean, let's just be honest. If rebuilding was easy, everyone would do it. If rebuilding was something that was simple... We wouldn't need a five-week series on how to rebuild certain aspects of your life. To get comfortable, and our discomfort is so common. So many people are in bad marriages, and they've been in bad marriages for years, but they've become comfortable in that discomfort. So many people get up every single day, and they go to a job that they literally can't stand. They know they were created for something different. They know they had the desires to do something different, but, but they become used to the routine of being uncomfortable. So we're in a series that we're calling Rebuild, and if there was ever a time in our life, if there was ever a year of evaluation, if there was ever a year in our life where we decided, man, I, I've had all I can stand, I can't stand no more, it was the year that we just got out of. And if there was ever a great time to start the rebuilding process in our life, it's today. Because the reality is, is today, as cliche as it sounds, and as stupid as it sounds, and, and as meme as it sounds, today is the first day in the rest of your life. It, it's just that simple. It doesn't matter what age you are, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. This is the day that you can make the decision that I've had enough, and I will no longer live my life less than what I was created for. I'm willing to put in the work, and I'm willing to begin the process of rebuilding, again, whatever aspect of your life it is that needs rebuilding. I've told you since day one of this series, I don't know what part of your life you need to rebuild. I don't know if it's an emotional part of your life. I don't know if it's a mental part of your life. I don't know if it's a spiritual part of your life. I don't know if it's a financial part of your life. I don't know if it's a physical part of your life. You're sick and tired of being out of shape. You're sick and tired of feeling like crap. I, I don't know what it is today. It might be a relational aspect of your life. But here's what I do know. If you've been with us since week one, you know exactly what that part of your life is. From the first week of this series, I told you, I said, don't come back for week two. Now, let me tell you, that you don't really read that in a lot of church growth books. Don't come back to church. But I told you, I said, don't come back to church for the rest of this series if you're not willing to mentally in your mind identify the one aspect of your life that you need to rebuild. Because there's not a person here today who's perfect. I tell him all the time, say, I'm looking for that perfect church. And I say, well, don't find that perfect church because once you join it, it'll no longer be perfect. There's no one here that's got it together in every aspect of your life. You might give the illusion on Facebook that you have it all together. But what I've learned over the years of dealing with people is those who portray the fact that they got it all together are normally ones who are the biggest mess. They've got to fake it to convince everyone else that they're not miserable in life. Well, we're talking about rebuilding 
our lives, rebuilding that segment of our life that needs rebuilding. And what we're doing is we're eliminating the excuses of living life less than we were created for. And so what we've been doing is we've been hanging out of the book of Nehemiah. If you're unfamiliar with Nehemiah, it's the book in the Old Testament, and it's about a guy named Nehemiah. It's groundbreaking. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king, which meant he went everywhere the king went before the king would drink a sip of wine or a sip of water or whatever it was. Nehemiah's job was to take the first sip. If Nehemiah lived, that meant there was no poison in the drink, and then the king could drink it. So Nehemiah, it, it might seem like a very simple government job, follow the king around. It might seem like a job where he was irreplaceable, but it was actually a job that held great importance because he said in some of the biggest meetings there were, he said in strategy sessions with the king, he began to form a friendship with the king because everywhere the king and the queen went, there was Nehemiah. One day, Nehemiah is walking around town. He runs into some friends from back home because you've got to remember where he is now in Persia. Persia had taken over Jerusalem, put them in slavery, and left the city in ruins. So now Nehemiah is working. He runs into some friends from back in the hometown. And just like every one of us do, we don't really care. We just ask that question, how's your mom and them? You don't really care how their mom and them are. Nehemiah says, hey, man, what's going on? Bam, good to see you. Man, how are things back home? Nehemiah didn't care. I, I just believe with everything that is in me. Nehemiah didn't care how things were back home. He was trying to make small talk. But the answer rocked his world. The people responded. They said, man, things back at home are horrible. We can't get the city rebuilt. We can't get import going and export going. We can't, we can't begin to harvest the crops and build stuff and do stuff because the walls around the city are torn down. And you need to understand something. In this day and time, there was walls around every city, and the walls around the city provided protection for the city. They provided who could come into the city and who could go out to the city. It was literally impossible to be a thriving city if you didn't have walls around the city. So as these people, because the king had now 140 years later allowed them to go back to Jerusalem, and they were trying to make Jerusalem the great kingdom that it was, or the great city that it once was, they could not do it because the, the walls around the city, the foundation around the city, was destroyed. Hey, Nehemiah was not the first one to hear about this. He was not the first one to understand what was going on back home. But when Nehemiah heard the walls around the city were torn down, the Bible says we've already been through all this, it literally broke his heart. It literally destroyed him. It crushed him. The Bible says that he sat for days and he wept and he prayed and he couldn't get it off his mind. Let me go ahead and tell you something. When you're trying to figure out what part of your life it is you need to rebuild, it's the part you can't get off your mind. It's the part that you think about nonstop. It's the part that haunts you every day when you know, man, there's got to be more to life in this aspect of my life than what I'm experiencing. So Nehemiah is so upset about the king, says, man, what's wrong with you? Nehemiah tells him, long story short, this is the Gary Lamb version, real, real quick. He says, man, I just want to go home and rebuild the walls. And the king gives his blessing. And we've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about how you know what the thing is that you need to rebuild. We talked about that in week one. And week two, we talked about how to plan the rebuild. It's not enough to just say, man, I'm going to get my marriage back to where it should be. What's your plan? It's not enough to say, man, I'm going to get myself financially out of debt that I've been in for years. What's the plan? 
It's not enough to say, man, I'm going to lose weight. What's the plan? It's not enough to say, I'm going to quit drinking. Awesome. What's the plan? Man, I'm going to walk away from my hurts, my habits, and my hang-ups. Freaking awesome. What's the plan? If you don't have a plan, then you just have a dream. And so many dreams die at the lack of planning. So we talked about how Nehemiah got the vision in week one. In week two, we talked about how Nehemiah put a plan together. If you missed any of those, you can go to actionchurch.tv. You can go to your app store, download the podcast. You can go to Facebook and watch the services. I'm telling you, they'll be life-changing for you. Last week... We talked about, if there's kids in the service, I don't know any other way to put it, but, but we talked about um, what do you do when the a-holes of life come around? Let's leave it that way. How about that? Because here's the deal. Anytime you set out to do something great, there's going to be critics who come out. There's going to be people that you thought would praise you and be excited that you're trying to get your life together. And all they're going to do is ridicule you, mock you, and be negative because misery loves company. So we talked about last week, how do you deal with the critics in your life? And you know the most frustrating thing, we're going to talk about this a little bit. So many times the critics are not even outsiders, they're insiders. I can't tell you how many women I know that have said, man, I'm going to get my health in shape and I'm going to do this. And their husband becomes their biggest critic. I always think it's because the husband's such a freaking loser that he knows, man, if his wife actually got some confidence, she'd realize he's a loser and leave him, so he tries to hold her down. But that's just the Gary Lamb theory, so I don't know if that's true. You think we would be a society that loves to see the success of other people, but we hate it. So we've talked about that the last few weeks. Today, we're at the stage in the rebuild where we're flying high. We've got the plan we're working the plan. We've thrown up the middle finger to all the critics. Things are rocking and rolling. Things are clicking. The wall that was tore down is starting to be rebuilt. The people in the city are excited. They're seeing a hope for their future. There's nothing greater than when you begin to see a hope for your future. You're working at that marriage, and all of a sudden, man, things are starting to change. Man, you're trying to get your finances in order, and all of a sudden, there's a nest egg in the bank, and the bills are getting paid off. Man, you're try, trying to give up drinking because you just know it's got a, a control of your life. And, man, you've been sober for 30 days, and all of a sudden, everything's clicking, and you're flying high, and you feel like you're on top of the world. And you just hit the wall. It happens every time. Let me make this clear to you. When you set out to rebuild, there will come a stage. And normally it will be at the height of the momentum. Because the problem with reaching the height is there's nowhere to go but start down. And out of the clear blue, for no reason at all, you will just hit the wall. I told you some of the things I'm trying to rebuild in my life is my physical health. And so I've set some goals, and I'm doing these things. I mean, one of the things I'm doing, it seems really small, but it's part of my plan, is the only thing I'm drinking is water, and I'm trying to drink a gallon of water every day. I've been killing water every day. And about this week, I thought, man, if I have to see another glass of water... Like, like, water has no flavor, you wouldn't, but like literally, I felt like I couldn't choke down another sip of water. I got frustrated, 
It was just one of those days. Every day's been pretty good. I'm just going to be honest with you, man. I set some goals, and I've been dominating those goals, and I've been doing good. And this day was a struggle. It's 11 o'clock at night, and I still got one more thing of water to drink. And so I were in the bedroom, and I just chug it. And like literally, how do you throw up water? But I was like, man, I am about to throw this water up. It was just a frustrating day. There's going to come a time in the rebuild that you're going to hit the wall. I'll never forget, we were rebuilding this building. You, you think this building is nappy now. <laughs> listen, listen, we're church in the ghetto. This is the island of misfit toys. This is like the Taj Mahal compared to what we had. This building was a grocery store for 40-something years. Then it was a... Um, an ethnic grocery store for a real long time. It was not the cleanest building. And then on top of that, it became a haunted house before we moved in. <laughs> and, and so you move into the building, and there's still food, even though it hasn't been a grocery store for like seven years. And, and then because it was a haunted house, there's blood all over the walls and all this crazy stuff. And, and the ceilings caved in because before we moved in, it had been empty for a year and they had a leak and nobody knew about it. And man, listen, man, we're rocking and we're rolling and we're doing our thing. And I'll never forget, man, we're about three months into the rebuild and I show up and I don't know anything about construction and don't know anything about what you're supposed to do with construction. All I know is I pulled up and there was this red thing on the front door. Does anybody know about the red tag? The red tag means you're breaking the law, you've done something wrong, stop now. Nobody told me you had to have architectural drawings before you built out a building. Nobody told me that you had to have a licensed electrician to do electrical work. Nobody told me you had to pull a permit for this and a permit for that. And we've been rocking for about two and a half months just doing our thing. And suddenly, everything stopped. Suddenly, the budget that we had listed for the entire project was the, almost the exact number that it was going to cost for architectural drawings. And I think it was 12 different permits we had to have. And we just hit the wall. Sometimes, all the time, in a rebuild, you're going to hit the wall. There's no way, let me, let me make this very clear to you today. No amount of planning is going to help you to avoid the wall. Listen, I, I'm a fan of planning, and I shared with you two weeks ago about planning. But here's what you need to understand about planning. No matter how good you are at planning... Something's going to come along that you didn't expect. You can't go over the wall. You can't go under the wall. You can't go around the wall. The only thing you can do with the wall when the wall comes along in the rebuild of your life is to go straight through the wall. You've got to embrace the suck of dealing with it, and you've got to make the decision that I'm going to get through this. Hey, listen, 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 listen. I don't care what your vision for your life is. I don't care what it is that you feel like you need to rebuild today. I'm not trying to discourage you today. I'm just trying to give you the reality that somewhere along the way, the wall is coming. You can't avoid the wall. 
But you need to be prepared for the wall to learn how to deal with the wall. I mean, you, you decided, man, I, I'm no longer drinking. I'm giving up drinking. Alcohol has consumed my life for years, and you're doing good, and you're doing good, and you're doing good, and you go off with your friends. Oh, man, you can have one drink. Here, are you anti-drinking? No, not at all. But, but I'm anti-drinking when the drinking consumes your life. And you can't just have one drink. Because in that area of your life, you're, you're too weak to only have one drink. And you slip up. Every addict will tell you in their recovery, there comes a relapse in the recovery. And many times they'll tell you the relapse, for those that get through the relapse, is the best thing that ever happened to them. You start saving your money. How many of you, I, we're, we're actually fixing to start back the Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey. You'll be getting information about that soon. But that's always funny to me. It's not funny, but it is funny. People get into the class, man, they're working the plan, the plan of work. They put their $1,000 emergency fund back. They're paying off their debt, and they're doing this. And then guess what happens? The minute you get the $1,000 back for the emergency fund, guess what happens? Oh, an emergency. And then people freak out. I'm like, that's why you had the emergency fund. Hey, for an emergency. The fridge goes bad, the oven's not working, air conditioner goes out, car needs new brakes, and you get so frustrated, man, you were clicking and rocking and rolling, and you were working the plan, and the plan was working, and boom, financial hardships back. Man, you start working on your health, you're working the plan, and then an injury comes along, and you can no longer work that plan. You start a business, you have this great idea, and you think the minute you start it and the minute you announce it, everybody's going to come along and use you, and all of a sudden you're two months in and you haven't had a sale or you haven't had a client or you haven't had a customer. You've hit the wall. You've put the work in. <laughs> you start working on your relationship, maybe with your spouse, and things are clicking, and things are going good, and, man, you're learning to communicate, and you're working it out, you're going on date nights, and, man, you're doing all the things. You're putting yourself in the other one's shoes, and blah, 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 all the crap counselors tell you to do, and you're starting to see some results. And then the smallest thing happens, and you have the biggest fight you've ever had. And you feel like, man, I took one step forward, now I've hit the wall and I've went four steps back. The wall happens. So the question becomes, how do we deal with the wall? How do we deal with opposition to the vision? Because let me make this very clear to you. We don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face it because we're doing something right. I know this is a white church full of white people, but that's where you're supposed to say amen. So many people, man, maybe I made a wrong decision. All of a sudden, all this stuff's coming out after me and I'm being attacked. No, no, maybe you're being attacked because for the first time ever, you're trying to do something right. The enemy doesn't care when you're doing wrong. But when you get on track... It's almost like karma. It's almost like the world becomes against you. And again, I've said it a thousand times because people love to see you fail. Misery loves company. 
We'll never admit that. We'll never own it. But man, somebody sets out and they start chasing their dreams and all of a sudden they don't fulfill their dreams. Or, I knew that was going to happen. And what we really mean is, man, I'm glad they didn't do it because had they achieved what they set out to do, I'd feel like I was worthless because I'm too weak to set out and chase my dreams. We're a petty people. We're a selfish people. We don't know how to root for other people. We don't know how to cheer other people on. But we sure as hell know how to tear them down. We don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face it because we're doing something right. When when you're living a life that has no purpose, when you're living a life that has no reason, no vision, the enemy has no need to attack you. When you set out and you begin to, to get victory and you begin to take ownership of your life and you begin to live the life you were created for, you can take it to the bank opposition's going to come along. I mean, think about it. If we're not doing anything of significance, why would our spiritual enemy even care? There's nothing worse than our enemy. He doesn't want to see you succeed in life. We live in a day and time that I even... Man, oh man, I'm going to regret this. I feel like we even live in a day and time where we become such a neutral society, there can't even be winners and losers because we don't want to beat up people who are losing, but the real reality is we don't want to celebrate those that are winning. So everybody's the same, just do whatever. And doing whatever's really had a great effect on our country. The reality is in life there's winners and there's losers. There's those who decide I'm going to win no matter what. And then there's those who decide, man, no matter what, I'm just going to lose. I'm going to wallow in my self-pity. And, and so what we try to do is our society tries to eliminate both. Because, man, we don't, want to, we don't want to make the losers feel bad for being losers. You say, I can't believe you'd call people losers. Why? I, I just think losing's a choice. So if you choose to lose, you're a loser. Not a very smart man, but it just seems logical to me. But we try to extinguish winning because winning might make the losers feel bad. I mean, think about it. This is our society. Man, I am gonna, I, I'm going to regret this. Listen, listen. We have a gym out there nowadays. What's the gym? Purple and yellow gym? Planet Fitness. Like, like, it's a gym. All geared towards people who don't want to take working out serious. Think about it. Like, like you're not allowed to slam the weights down. You're not allowed to grunt. Uh, actually have sayings on the wall making fun of those who want to take their weight loss serious and meathead serious. Like, like, it's a gym that has, like, on Friday, it had pizza day. Like Christine goes in there and she has a gallon of water and they tell her, you can't bring that gallon of water in here. If I'm lying, I'm dying. You can't bring that gallon of water. It might be intimidating to some of the people in the gym. Huh? A gallon of water is intimidating? Now this body, I understand, they said that was intimidating. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Like, but, but, but that's the society. I, I wonder what would happen if instead of coddling those people, 
We came along and we lifted them up and said, hey, man, I can help you meet your goals. Or, hey, let me show you what I do. Or they saw some people who motivated themselves to be better. But that's what we'd rather do. We'd rather just hang out with people that are losing in life. And if you go to Planet Fitness, I'm not saying you're a loser. Don't take that to the bank. Golly, it's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that's just our mindset nowadays. Like we have to sugarcoat the gym now. Like sugarcoat the gym I thought about joining it because I saw it the other day because I did follow them on Facebook, and they had ice cream day on Saturday, and I was like all about some ice cream. <laughs> and I feel like if you had the ice cream in the gym, maybe it's less calories. And so I was like, sign me up. But man, that, like, is that just not the epitome of let's not upset anybody? Sometimes in life, you need to know you're losing so you can snap out of it and win. I had this group of people on my Facebook, and they formed this little girls' clique, and I like watching them interact with each other. And it's funny because none of them are doing anything with their life. They all talk about what they're going to do with their life. They got all their vision boards that they've never, vision boards, that they've never done anything with. It's almost like they like the idea of being better, but they're not doing anything to be better. But then I watch them all. My favorite part of it, that's their business. I don't really care. But I, I, it amuses me to watch them encourage each other in doing nothing. <laughs> like literally one of them posted today, join the gym. Can't wait to get my body back. She, the girl's overweight. I don't mean that in a mean way. She, she admitted it herself. I'm overweight. When you're fat, you can call out other people's fatness. <laughs> but here's what killed me. I was proud of the girl for joining the gym. Then every one of the people in the girl clique responding, you don't need the gym. You're beautiful the way you are. No, she needs the gym. <laughs> like, I'm not the one telling her that. She's the one who feels that. But instead of encouraging her, so proud of you, go to the gym, man. Girl, we're here along with you. It's like, no, you're beautiful the way you are. That's our society today. If you look in the mirror... In any aspect of your life, and you know you could do better, you're not winning, you're losing. But no one to tell you that because that's not popular nowadays. And none of that had anything to do with my sermon, so let me tie it all back in. When you start winning, you're going to hit the wall. <laughs> if you're doing anything significant, there's going to be a wall along the way. We don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face it because we're doing something right. And opposition comes from all over. Opposition will try to discourage you from the outside. It'll be people in the house. So look at Nehemiah. We're going to get to the Bible. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. You understand, Sambalat didn't even live in Jerusalem. Why did he care? He wasn't even part of the people rebuilding the wall. But when Sebalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. They'll make fun of you. He ain't changed in 20 years. You think you're going to change him now? Man, just mocking people who want to chase their dreams. He ridiculed Jews in the presence of his associates. And then here's the problem with critics. Critics are so insecure that they like to get their minions to come with them. 
It's not enough for them to tell you. They've got to bring everyone else along to try to prove that they're right because they think because they're the majority, they're right. But the majority in life is normally those that lose. 32 football teams in the NFL. One of them wins the Super Bowl. It means 31 lose. They bring other people along with them. In the presence of associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? You're not mentally tough enough to do that. Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day just mocking them? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Then Tobiah the Ammonite was at his side and said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up that would break down their walls of stone. And opposition comes from the outside. I, I, I find it funny, because I'm pretty open about what I try to do in life. So, so I find it funny that I'll tell something about my eating or doing whatever, or trying to get my stuff in order, and literally I'll have people that I, I haven't talked to in years message me. That's what you're going to do? Have you thought about X, Y, Z? Yeah, I have. I just decided this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I said, that, that won't work. Dude, you're 350 pounds and five foot three. No offense to you. What are you going to tell me about getting your body in shape? Now, if you were muscular, unlike me, maybe I would listen. But they'll try to distract you with criticism, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I talked about it all last week, how you deal with critic. But you know something else they'll distract you with? Because criticism is what it is, and I told you how to deal with it last week. Here's the, the big thing that works out when we set our goals. You get distracted with opportunities. Remember last week I told you that they came to Nehemiah several times, numerous times, and said, hey, come down, let's meet. Hey, come on down, let's talk. An opportunity. In Nehemiah's mind, that could have been an opportunity to come say, man, maybe if I go talk to them, I can reason with them. You can never reason with critics because they don't want to hear the truth. I love watching you argue on Facebook. I'm like, do you really think you're going to convince that person of anything and you just waste all your time? I just want to say something. Well, you, then you just show that you have, no, you have all the time in the world to do whatever you want to do. Same person who don't have time to chase their dreams has time to spend two hours on Facebook arguing with people. Mm. Several times they went to Nehemiah. Remember what Nehemiah told them? I don't have time to come down. I'm building the wall. I'm doing a great thing here. Why should the work stop while I come down to you? Every day of your life, you need to understand this. Opportunities come along that have the potential to distract you from the main thing God has called you to do. Every day. Entertainment opportunities come along. Someone literally told me, they said, man, I, I, I'm trying to give up drinking. He said, ever since I've tried to give up drinking, man, more people are inviting me to concerts, and more people are inviting me to this, and more people are inviting me to hang over at their house and do all these things. And he said, do you think it's wrong? I said, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, but it's wrong for you if you can't go and not drink, if your goal is not to drink. Entertainment opportunities come along. Athletic opportunities come along. Financial opportunities, relational opportunities, religious opportunities, investment opportunities, career opportunities. Opportunities come along all the time. And here's what you need to understand something. Here's the crazy thing. Many times the opportunities that come along in life 
Don't miss this. They're good opportunities. But you've heard me say it a thousand times. The biggest enemy of great is good. I've got a buddy of mine, and he quit his job, and he's chasing his dreams, and he's right now has about seven different, I call them hustles going on. And they're all good hustles. But the other day he said, man, none of them are getting traction. And I said, they're not going to. He said, what do you mean? I said, because you can't do seven things. No one takes you serious in anything you're doing because you're pushing seven different things. But they're good. I said, they are. But one of those ideas is great. So imagine if you took all the time you're trying to do on the seven and put it all on the great idea, how much greater it would be. People would take you serious if you're focused on that one thing. We allow good to keep us from great. We go to Downtown Kitchen the other night to eat. At Downtown Kitchen, the first thing I ask the waitress when they come to our table, I don't want to know what the food specials are. I want to know what kind of cheesecake you have tonight. Every time. What's cheesecake you got tonight? It's a very important process in the meal eating aspect. Cheesecake, good. <laughs> cheesecake, borderline great. <laughs> Looking down and being able to see my feet past my fat belly, great. So when we went to the night, I didn't ask what kind of cheesecake was on the menu. Because I'm tired of my pants not fitting. I'm tired of being tired. Then I found out it was red velvet cheesecake. I love red velvet. That's the devil. That's how he works. Ooh, did you know we have red velvet cheesecake today? Fat boy. Is there anything wrong with red velvet cheesecake? No. It's like manna from heaven. For all you stupid people that are skinny, it's fine. For me, it's not. So we didn't get cheesecake. Here's the deal. She hasn't committed to not eating sweets. She don't need to. I love that woman. She tried to trick. Are you sure? I thought, I thought you were at least when we come to downtown kitchen, the diet didn't apply. That's what she said. I trust her. I begin to question whether or not the cheesecake applied if it's on date night at downtown kitchen. Hot chick telling me to eat cheesecake. Bam, sign me up. <laughs> man, you got to learn though, man. A lot of good things come along that keep us from the great thing. To rebuild, you've got to learn to say no to opportunities that are only good. Do you know we get ideas brought to us all the time here at this church? That are good ideas. Good ideas. But they don't understand the vision of our church. Here's what our vision of our church is. All due respect to every church in this town, I'm so glad they exist because if this isn't your vision, there's plenty of churches for you to go to. But it's very unique. It's to be in the poorest part of our community. To do a Sunday morning pep rally. And the rest of the time just serve our community. 
Are you, I'm not opposed to small groups. We don't do small groups. I'm not opposed to youth groups. We don't do youth groups. I'm not opposed to midweek service. We're not doing a midweek service. I'm not opposed to Sunday school. We're not doing a Sunday school. I'm not opposed to all the programs that churches have. Praise God that they feel called to have those. It's not what we do. We feed people. We clothe people. We provide a place for addicts to meet. When there's not COVID in there, we're the warming shelter for the entire county. We do what we do. Those other ideas are good ideas. But in order for all those ideas to happen, they take my focus over the great idea, which is take outsiders and make them insiders. We are the church for those that don't do church. We don't apologize for that. I get it's not for everybody. Some of our best friends won't come to church here because it's not the church for them. I get it. But I know the great thing in our life, so I don't get offended by it. But if I said yes to every opportunity, no. I had a preacher tell me recently, very successfully, he said, man, if you would just tone some things down, you know how many people you would have? I said, I'm not toning things down. Care. It's not that I don't, I don't care. Take a seat. I don't do this for the money. I do it because y'all are my freaking punishment in life, I guess. I don't know why I do it. <laughs> my cross to carry. <laughs> I'm y'all's punishment. Man. They distract you with obstacles. But again, not only from the outside, man. Like I told you, again, opposition will come from the inside. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength, this is the people that were rebuilding the wall. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble. We can't rebuild the wall. They got tired. They're seeing the enemy coming along and criticizing. And now suddenly those who that the wall would benefit being rebuilt are complaining about rebuilding the wall. You decide to get your finances in order, man. You and your wife are on a roll, and you're clicking, and you're rocking, and you get, you're working on the plan, and then suddenly, man, it's football season. He wants the NFL pass. Anything wrong with the NFL pass? No. Except y'all made a commitment to get out of debt. So what's more important? Living debt-free and having freedom in life because you're not in debt? The NFL pass. Suddenly... I always love this. It's my favorite thing people do when they're trying to get out of debt. The car breaks down. It's going to be $300 to repair that car. Might as well just get a new one. Yes. That's what you should do, you idiot. God. Opposition comes from the inside. Sometimes you have a wife who's like, eat the red velvet cheesecake. The calories don't count. See, I mean, even a godly woman like that can have the devil possess her sometimes. <laughs> so you've you got to be ready, though. You've got to be ready. You're trying to rebuild the relationship with your kids, man. Man, your kid wants nothing to do with it. They've complained and been upset for years that there's no relationship, and now your folks are now, man, they don't want nothing to do with it. Sometimes the discouragement comes from the inside. Sometimes the discouragement comes from the inside, and the inside's us. I think I lost eight pounds the first week, five pounds the second week, and one pound last week. I was frustrated. I might have chunked the scale out the window. There's no screens on our house for whatever reason, so there was nothing to protect me and slow me down. 
One pound. I was mad. Why am I doing all this? To lose one pound? I have a numeric goal. If I, one pound will take me almost a year, over a year, to lose the weight I want to lose. I, I don't operate that way. A year? No. No. I'll go smoke some meth and lose it in like a month or something. Like That's just how my mind works. Sorry if you smoke meth. I didn't mean to offend you. Man. Golly. The discouragement comes from inside. So quickly, because I'm getting hungry and we're going to get out of here. The question becomes, how do we deal with the wall? We know the wall's coming. We know it's unavoidable. How do we deal with it? The first thing we're going to do is we are not going to get discouraged. We're not going to get discouraged. Look at Nehemiah. After I look things over, I said, man, Nehemiah is a leader. Outside's criticizing. The guys are tired. He doesn't respond immediately. Gosh, we could all learn something from that. He stops. He examines the situation. He begins to walk around and see what's going on. He begins to hear those that are close to him that they're tired and they're, they're wore out. After I look things over, I stood up to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. And I said, do not be afraid of them. We're going to decide that we're not going to get discouraged. You say that sounds easier said than none it is. But we're not going to get discouraged. We're going to step back and we're going to look at things realistically. We're going to look at things as they are. The problem is when you're in the middle of the wall and the wall's staring you right in the face, all you can see is this part of the wall. Sometimes you've got to step back away from the wall where you can see the bigger picture. What's the old saying? Sometimes we can't see the forest because we're staring at the tree. We're not going to get discouraged. I'm frustrated I lost one pound. Oh, but in three weeks I've lost almost 16 pounds. Man, I'm frustrated that the refrigerator quit working. But dang, that was the reason I had an emergency fund. Had it broke before I had an emergency fund, I'd have had to put it on my credit card and get deeper in debt. It's an emergency. Bam, I have an emergency fund. It's not a savings account, it's an emergency fund. But in the middle of the battle, we're frustrated. We're mad. Rob, you remember how mad you were when your glass was it glasses that broke when you guys started getting out of debt? Started getting out of debt and my glasses broke. And I said, don't you got an emergency fund? Yeah. I said, you ain't got to go in debt for them glasses. I don't think she said this, but I think she thought, I hate you. <laughs> and then she's like, you're right. Right. Man, you just work the steps. Man, you're frustrated. You and, you and your spouse. Christine, how many times have we said this? We have a throwdown. Throwdown. She's wrong. I'm right. We throw down. I'm talking about throw down, like four or five hours throw down. Now, it'd be real easy to focus on the fact that for four or five hours she was stubborn and wrong. You know how many times we looked at each other after that and been like, you know what? We only fought for four hours this time. Remember in the past when that went on for three days? You say, that seems weird. No, no, no. It's, it's embracing the small victories. It's realizing that you're growing. Someone said something about my father-in-law the other day. Whew. And there's plenty to say about him. 
And they said, did you see blah, blah, blah? I can't believe he would blah, blah, blah. And I said, I saw blah, blah, blah. And yes, I can believe he would blah, blah, blah. And I said, you should really be proud. That's about the first time he's blah, blah, blah in about six months. When I first met him, he blah, blah, blah every single day. He's growing. <laughs> I said, man, he's growing. You can get discouraged, though, that he blah, blah, blah. Or you can step back and be like, man, look at him growing. Then he came back and apologized for blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, holy smokes, I think that's a revelation that God said Rick Cope will apologize and God will descend from, uh, from heaven and the clouds will split open and he will take us home. You can get discouraged or you can look at stuff realistically. In the midst of the emotion, in the midst of the fire, man, we miss out on stuff that's going on and we get discouraged by what's happening. We get discouraged by the wall. Wall happens. Can't avoid it. Embrace it. How many times have I said, embrace the suck? Embrace the suck. Feel the full magnitude of that suck. Set a timeline. Maybe you're going to wallow in it for a day. I always like to say, I'm going to wallow in it for 30 minutes. I'm trying to get it down to five minutes. I am not there yet. I am going to embrace the suckiness and the anger and the frustration for five minutes. Because you can throw a scale outside the window in five minutes. So that's plenty of time. And then we're going to move on. We're going to let it go. Someone the other day wrote on Facebook and they're like, what do you do when you're trying to blah, what do you call when you're trying to blah, 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 and everything, basically get their life together, and everything goes wrong. All these long, I just wrote, I call it life. They respond to me. They said, wow. Send me a private message. Wow. That was so simple and so profound. I said, it's just life. Life happens. We live in a sinful world, a screwed up world, a messed up world. Listen, it won't be perfect till we get to heaven. It's just the reality of the situation. Life happens. You don't get discouraged. I literally see people ready to give up on life because of who's our president. What? You think I'm giving up on life over something like that? Heck no. I'm 44 years old. I got another 72 years to live with technology and science. I'm ready to go. No. Man, you don't get discouraged. I, 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 I don't know how to make that any more simple, but make it more complicated. Because it's complicated not to get discouraged. It's human nature. Because we live in the moment instead of living in the big picture. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to remember the Lord. We're going to remember how freaking good God is. After I looked things over, I stood up and said, don't, those, don't be afraid of them. Then we said, remember the Lord, who's great and awesome. Nehemiah said, hey, screw them. Remember God. Remember when I went to the king and he gave me permission to come back here? Remember when I went to the king and said, hey, will you give me letters to the forester where I can take trees and rebuild the wall? And he gave it. 
Remember when the king gave me safe passage through all the provinces where I could get here safely? Remember when we started rebuilding the wall and now we're 26 days in and it's almost built? He said, remember the Lord. God called us here to do that. And just because God called you doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. But if God called you and God leads you, God will feed you. Where God, listen, what's the old saying? Where God guides, God provides. Man, remember how good God is. Man, we forget, man, we are so wishy-washy with God. When things are good, God's God. When things are bad, I don't understand that God doesn't let somebody get cancer. I'm done with God. He's like a puppet up there, man. When he's doing what we want him to do, he's God. When it's something we don't understand, he's not God. We don't understand why God would be like that. Here's what you need to know about God. He's God, and you're not. I love the little bumpster. God said it, I believe it. That settles it. No, 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 not really. God said it. That settles it. It don't matter if you believe it or not. You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. You need to remember. You need to remember five years ago when you decided to give up drugs that God took the urge away. Yet a day you woke up and for whatever reason you're craving it. But the same God who took the urge away five years ago will take it away today. You just got to remember how good God is. <laughs> You've lost your job. You've hit the wall. But you remember when God got you that job? I always say this about preachers. It's always God's will when people join our church, which we have nothing to join here. We don't do that. Someone said, how do you become a member? He to show up. But it's always God's will when people come to our church, but it's never God's will when people leave our church. Ain't that funny? But you lost your job, and, and you've hit the wall. But don't you remember when God gave you that job? Your marriage right now, for whatever reason, is just hell. Let me tell you a little secret about marriage from someone who has not been very good at it. Marriage is work. <laughs> marriage is hard. I don't care how much you think you're soulmates, how much you love each other. Marriage is hard. And there's times it downright sucks. Why? Because it's life. There's times you just get on each other's nerves. Christine got on to me this week about something. I can't remember what it was. I need you to start blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I haven't blah, blah, blah in years. Why do I got to start now? Like, why all of a sudden is it bothering you? Here's why. Because she woke up that day and it was bothering her. That's marriage. I came the other day and she said, why are you being so snippy? I said, I'm not being snippy. She said, everything you've said to me has been snippy today. Are you in a bad mood? I'm like, no. Then why are you talking to me that way? I'm not talking to you anyway. But in her mind, I was. Now, she was wrong, but it don't matter if she felt that way. <laughs> Man, this marriage is hard. Two different people coming together and living life together. If marriage wasn't hard, 51% of them, for the first time ever, more than 50% of marriage is in a divorce. 51%. I just read the stat this week. 
Over 70% of second marriages fail. You don't even want to hear the stats for third and beyond. Over 80% don't make it. You say, why do you think it is? I think because when we get to that stage, we just accepted that divorce is easy. And the easy way out, and we do it. Marriage is hard. Christine tells me, I love you, but I do not like you right now. I said, well, you need to go repent and talk to Jesus. <laughs> but you know, you know what? When your marriage hits that skid, go back and remember the times your marriage didn't almost make it before. Three years ago, three and a half years ago, I don't even remember now. I didn't think we were going to make it through the year. Our marriage was hell. Angry, not talking. Now our marriage is better than ever. So when she's wrong and not doing things right, I just go back and remember what God did three years ago. Sometimes you just got to remember how good God is. Man. We forget the goodness of God in our life. We forget all the times that we, didn't, we almost didn't get through life. Money gets tight and we forget all the times that this ain't the first time money's been tight. And God always provided. We forget. We have short-term memory when it comes to the goodness of God. Again, because we're selfish people and it's all about us and if God's not benefiting us the way we think he ought to benefit us, we don't remember. They're 26 days in and they're complaining, ready to give up on the wall. After all God had done for them, man, the God who got you through yesterday will get you through tomorrow. He said, I am the same today, yesterday, and forever. God has not changed he says, I'll never leave you, nor will I forsake you. He's God. We need to claim to the promises of God. There's times here at this church, this is a unique church. We do things a lot different than a lot of churches. We're not in the business of church. It, 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 it sure ain't the prettiest church, no offense to any of y'all. Or me. But man, we, we, again, uh, making church for those that don't do church doesn't make a lot of sense. Bad business plan. I tell you before, it's like opening a steakhouse for vegetarians. It doesn't make sense. Doing church in the poorest part of town doesn't make sense. It's not the trend. It, having an old rocker up here leading worship instead of some 20-year-old in black room glasses and skinny jeans, it's just not the thing nowadays. It seems to work for us. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And therefore, because it doesn't make a lot of sense, there's times that you don't know about where you don't know how close those doors are to getting shut. Pre COVID, there was a Sunday about a month before, there was about $1,500 in the bank. I was fully expecting, I really wasn't fully expecting because I knew God would provide. But to tell you, hey, man, it's been fun. Let's go join another church. But every time I start to get frustrated like that, and I've had, man, I've had enough. I'm going to go focus on building my businesses full-time and not focus on this. 
Every time I get to that mindset, I just start remembering how good God is. I remember God calling me to this town 16 years ago. I remember losing everything. And as clear as day, God said, you're not leaving that town. I remember nine, nine and a half years ago starting this church. I remember renting that side of the building and not knowing anything about building permits and realizing that we had to meet in the parking lot for almost five months before we could meet on the inside. I remember it being so cold that we had two school buses. We'd pull them up in the parking lot and put them up as walls. And then we had someone donate a bunch of blankets for the homeless people that we couldn't give to the homeless people because we needed them on Sunday morning for people to wrap up to stay somewhat warm on Sunday morning. I remember that. I, I remember starting this church with about 20 people and meeting outside. The next week there was 30, and the next week there was 40, the next week there was 50. And God providing over and over and over. <laughs> I, I remember praying for this side of the building and the landlord over and over telling me, I don't want a church in there. I, I mean, he, he's an older gentleman. He's a great guy. But I remember him telling me one time, he goes, what am I going to do when Publix wants to come to this part of town? They're going to want to rent this place. I was like, Publix is never coming to this part of town and they are not moving in this building. And I remember people moving in the building and moving out three months later. People moving in the building and moving out, and he would not rent to us. Then one day, we were to the point where we had to find another place. I said, man, we're leaving if you don't give us the other side of the place. And he gave it to us. I remember all the lives that have been impacted here. The marriages that have been restored and the attics that have been cleaned. I'm out and about all the time, and people stop me all the time. And thank me for this church. And we know what kills me is to say, I've never been to your church. But I've been to the AA meetings on Friday night, and those meetings saved my life. Had someone stop me the day at Ollie's yesterday. Hey, Pastor Gary. I was like, the mask is a deceiving thing, because you don't know who's talking to you. Been watching the services online. I didn't recognize the lady. Assume she's never been here. She's watching every week online. I remember that every time I think we're about done, God provides. I, I remember that we serve a God who's a God of second chances. <laughs> I, I remember literally having a man walk in this service one time with no shirt on. He'd been sleeping in the woods. And people loving on him. I remember a guy walking in here one time that had the DT so bad from not drinking that we had to go to the Chevron on Sunday morning before noon and say, can I take a beer and I'll come back later and pay you for it just so we could get some beer in the guy to get his body to stop shaking where he could sit and listen to the service. You think I'm shutting these doors and walking away from this when God's doing that? You must be crazy. Those are like the fun preacher stories, but I, I remember the people who've taken Financial Peace University and were thousands upon thousands of dollars in debt 
and begin to work that plan and got out of debt. I re- remember the people whose marriages were over and came back and asked me to remarry them because they'd made those decisions. <laughs> and then I remind myself every time I get frustrated and I hit that wall that God's not done. He's not done. And when he's done, we'll move on. And I'm moving to the beach. But he ain't done. You've got to remember sometimes where God's brought you from. And then last, we're done, I promise you. We're going to fight for your calls. My passive brethren, sometimes you've got to fight. Sometimes you just got to fight because you have something worth fighting for. Nehemiah comes along. He lifts them up. He tells them to remember. He tells them not to be discouraged. He tells them to remember. And then he tells them to fight. He says, and fight for your families. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. Sometimes you got to fight for what you want out of life. Sometimes you got to fight to get your finances in order because you want to live a life one day debt-free and you're sick of the grind of being in debt to everyone to buy because you bought a bunch of things to impress people you don't even like in the first place or whatever the say it is, and you're just like, enough is enough. Sometimes you got to fight for your marriage, even if you don't want to fight for your marriage for yourself. You fight for your marriage for your kids. Sometimes you step out in faith and you fight and you scrape and you claw and you chase that dream you have for whatever it is you want to do with your life and it means you go work your full-time job all day long and you come home and you hustle for four or five hours and you do whatever it takes until the four or five hours grows enough where it can be the 12 hours and you can walk in and tell your job to boss to shove it because you want to provide a different life for your kids. Sometimes you fight. You fight for the little church in the ghetto because all of a sudden you started coming to church here and now your kids come to church here and now, and now David Westrick, your ex-wife, comes to church here and my God, everybody comes to church here and the in-laws come to church here and they all act like they're one big happy family and it's crazy and I don't understand it because it makes no sense to me but it's worth fighting for. You fight because you have something to fight for. You fight for your health because you're sick and tired of walking up the steps and breathing hard. You're sick of your kids almost dreading you to ask you to go play with them because you know your health is so bad. You fight. Because some things in life are worth fighting for. Nehemiah reminded them this wall is worth fighting for. This life, this wall is what will give us vitality. Man, the Bible says as much as it depends on us to live at peace with all people, I understand that. I am not a warmonger. But sometimes you've got to fight. Depends on how bad you want it. The problem is so many times we don't want it bad enough. We'd rather live with the walls tore down around us because it's easier. Ah, I'm used to the walls being tore down. Someone told me the other day, literally someone told me, said, eh, I'm used to my marriage sucking. That's horrible. 
It's miserable. Man, no. Do you think we, we serve a God who wants us to settle? Then you got a small God. We get one shot at life. Life is the most amazing freaking thing in the world. I love life. My wife asked me, she goes, what were you screaming about in your sleep? And I said, I don't know. She said, Emily can hear you in the next room. I don't know. I have more fun asleep than most people have awake. I love life. Man, I love it. Why would you waste it? You're going to hit that wall. You got to keep going. Don't get discouraged. Remember how good God's been. And fight. Let's pray.